Right, we're in the book of Galatians. And if you're new here, we teach expo exposition of Scripture, verse by verse, book by book. So we're in the book of Galatians, and we are going to be ending chapter 5 today. We're picking up verse 19, and by the grace and faith of God, we will get done at the end of the chapter. And so let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Verse 19, let's read. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who, are of those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us all walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that is, that is able to sanctify us and nourish us. We open and receive it by faith. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the anointed teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. So, Father, they walk away hearing from you exactly what they need. And we thank you for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a handshake on the way down. Praise the Lord. Now, we're going to go over some sections of scriptures that, that if most pastors in America would not use, this, these would not be the top hundred choices to build your church off of as these verses here. But we teach verse by verse, book by book, so I don't have the luxury of just skipping over verses I don't like to talk about. So all of the word of God is profitable for us. All scripture is profitable. And so I believe we'll profit from this today. And so the first section of the scripture, I just want to warn you, it's like walking by a trash heap. And so these are the deeds of the flesh and the dirty deeds of the flesh. But, but hold on, there's hope. We're going to make you through. And several times during it, I'll stop and make sure everything's, everybody's okay. They're still with us. But then we're going to walk through that and then we'll enter into the luscious, fragrant garden of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. And we'll end well. Praise God. All right, so verse 19, let's start unpacking this. It says, now the works of the flesh are hard to see. No. I'm sorry, clueless translation. The works of the flesh are evident. That means they're very clear. They're easy to see. It's able to see it, no problem. And so, guys, we are not to judge people's hearts. We're not to judge people's motives. But we are to be able to judge actions are in line with the word or not, and we are to judge fruit. And so we have actions and fruit, and so we'll be able to judge those. And ask someone, are you a fruit inspector? <laughs> you ought to be a good fruit inspector. And so the fruit of the Spirit are very evident. And so we're going to see that today. The works of the flesh. Raise your hand if you have flesh. Yeah, you have flesh. That means that your flesh doesn't serve God. And if you let your flesh do do anything, it will do anything. And so your flesh will. And so, so we're going to talk about the flesh, but also how do you get out of that? So there's hope at the end of this. And so it, they're evident. And so which are, let's start listing those and looking at them. The first one's adultery. Adultery. What's adultery? To have intercourse with another man's wife or another woman's husband. And so guys, according to the word of God, what is marriage? It's between one man, one woman in covenant, and sex is within, inside that covenant. Now, just like a fire, who has a fireplace at home? A few people have a fireplace. Now, a fire is a great thing. Who enjoys a good raging fire in a cold? That's wonderful if you keep it in the fireplace. You get the fire out of the fireplace, it'll burn your curtains, it'll burn your house down. 
You keep sex within a marriage, that's great, but when it goes outside the marriage covenant, that's when it'll burn your life down. It'll burn families down. It'll burn uh, the things of God in your life. And so, so that's adultery. Look at fornication. It comes from the Greek word porneia, P-O-R-N. Where do we get with that word? Porn. Uh, porneia. This includes premarital sex, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, that's sex within family members, and prostitution. Pornography is basically prostitution, the, the whole system. Uh, and so that's under fornication. Let's move on to uncleanness. Uncleanness means defilement and filthiness. Now that's a wild, that can be in many different areas, defilement or filthiness. And so I per, and so move on to lewdness. Say lewdness. lewdness. It's kind of interesting with lewdness. Lewdness is unbridled lust or shamelessness. The person given to lewdness does not care how much they shock public opinion. Do you notice more and more people are coming out and just shock, shocking what would shock? Let me just say this. What's happening on our TV any given night, if you went back and you took someone from the 1960s and transported them just for, to watch tonight, they'd be shocked. <laughs> See, the devil is, is, is like a... Uh, he, 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 he's like cooking a frog. How do you, raise your hand, write down, this is how you cook a frog. I want to cook a frog. Don't throw the frog in boiling water. It'll hop right out. What do you do? You put it in lukewarm water and then slowly degree by degree you, you heat it and it gets acclimated and after a while you can boil a frog because it gets acclimated. That's the way the devil's been doing the last 40 years to the American public. Slowly but surely. Oh, that's shocking, but, you know, kind of get used to that. Then brings another one, brings more shocking. And so, lewdness. So, so a person that's guilty of lewdness has lost all decency and shame. They don't care about who sees their sin. Verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Look at idolatry. This is the worship of false gods, the worship of false gods. Now, this is not just bowing down to stone uh, images and metal images and wood images. Yes, that's idolatry, and that's happening around the world today. Well, pastor, that's not in America. There's no idolatry in America. Well, let's look at the five classifications of what idolatry covers. There's five classifications. The first one is the worship of inanimate objects made from stone and wood. The second category is the worship of animals. So I know you love fluffy. But do not, you don't worship animals. And so in the number three category, uh, it's the worship of heavenly powers of nature, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, in the Old Testament, they worship the host of heaven. Uh, or the forces of nature like fire, wind, water, air. Okay, so let's get it down to more where we, we are experiencing it today in America. The fourth category, hero worship. Hero worship. Today, there are hero worship going on. There's uh, sports figures that people worship. Uh, there's movie stars. I don't know why you call them a star. And people look up to these guys and emulate these people, but they live. a lot of them are godless. We shouldn't look up to them and put them on a pedestal and emulate them. Hero worship. Hero worship or, or worship of your deceased ancestors. And now the fifth category is possessions and attainments. Well, Pastor, you're just stretching things now. You, that you know, uh, that's not adult, uh, you know, idolatry. No, oh, really. Uh, Colossians three five. Please pop it up. Colossians three. Look at verse five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth: fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. idolatry. 
It's the desire to accumulate possessions and you're never satisfied with what you have. Let me tell you something. There's a God-shaped hole in everyone, everyone's heart that God ever was created. And the only way you're going to fill that up is God. Possessions are not going to satisfy you. It will not make you happy. Someone says, well, I can rent it for a while. <laughs> but on the end, it's not going to satisfy you. Nothing can satisfy you but Jesus. And so don't put anything above God, the worship of God. Let's move on to sorcery. Oh, pastor, this shouldn't be in the deeds of the flesh. This should be under demonic activity. There should be deliverance sessions going on. These are demons, sorcery. Guys, Paul talks about it as deeds of the flesh. I'm not saying that demons are not heavily involved in the occult, in sorcery, but how do they get their inroads? Through your flesh. Through your flesh. The enemy can only get in through the deception of you yielding to them by the flesh. And so I'm not saying spirits don't need to be dealt with in this situation, but really it's the flesh. Look at this word sorcery. It comes from the Greek word pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. We get the word pharmacy from this word. Pharmacy. This is the use or the administration of drugs. Poisoning. Magical arts. Sorcerers and oracles commonly use mind-altering drugs to induce their visions and healings. The use of drugs open people up to demonic activity in altered states of reality. These are, these are altering states of drugs. These are the, the, the heroin and the crack and the LSD and, and marijuana. I'm going to get an email. <laughs> Although sorcery involved demonic activity, it's called the work of the flesh. Demons have no control over people unless they yield to them through their flesh. I want to bring this out. This seems like, well, these people, they need spiritual deliverance. I want to bring out something to you is that in the Bible, in the New Testament, you can't find anywhere that a Christian has spirits cast out of them. You can't find it in the book of Acts. You can't find it in the epistles or the teaching to do so. You see, no example. Oh, Pastor Jesus cast out demons all the time he was doing it. Yeah, but they're all unbelievers. No one was born again during the Gospels until Jesus rose again from the dead. There's no example of anybody going through a deliverance session where demons are being cast out of a believer. And so, well, how do believers get set free? Well, I'm just going to open my heart and I'm just going to be honest with you today. And hopefully I can just help you out from going down a, 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 a road that's a dead end. When I was in college, when I was a young buck in my 20s, uh, I had some friends ask me to come to a prayer night. Uh, and, and, and so they pulled me aside as when I got there. They said, now you're probably going to see things you haven't seen before, that you're not experiencing before. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I prayed before. He says, no, you, you haven't experienced this. So I walked in, and so they had the first guy sit on the couch. And, says, and they started conjuring forth the spirits that were in this guy. You know, you give the devil a stage, he takes it. And all of a sudden, this guy started talking in this language I didn't understand. And like, whoo! I hopped in, and I was rebuking and screaming and yelling. And we all did that for 30 minutes, yelling and screaming at the devil. And, and that guy looked like he got set free and stuff like that. And so I went to my, I'm embarrassed now. I actually went to my associate pastor, and I said, uh, Pastor, have you ever seen demons cast out? He goes, well, I think this is the, I said this, who said this? I said, this is the cutting edge of what God's doing in the body of Christ right now. And he goes, oh, really? Why don't you have a meeting with me? And so I met with him and the senior pastor, and I explained what I saw, and I said, pastor, this is the cutting edge of what we ought to be doing today. And the associate pastor says, no, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the cutting edge of what we ought to be doing today. And you have a gift for evangelism, and the, and the devil's trying to take you off into the side issues. And so, and he showed me there's not an exa one example of a believer having to go through demons being cast out. Now, to stay balanced with it, you can be oppressed. A Christian cannot be possessed by the devil because you, the Holy Spirit, has actually, for a Christian, possessed you. Tell someone you're Holy Ghost possessed. Now, if you're born again, if you're not born again, we can hook you up. But for a believer, you're Holy Ghost possessed. You can be oppressed in your soul. 
Now, I'm not saying that you may have to take authority over someone's oppression, but then what do they need? They don't need demons cast out. They need to be taught the Word of God, taught the, authority, the truths of the Word. Go to John chapter 8, look at verse 31, where Jesus says how, uh, how we believers, disciples, will be set free. This is Jesus in the red. John 8, look at verse 31. Uh, 30, 31. Back it up. There you go. Then Jesus said, who said? Jesus, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. These are believers. If you abide or continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He defined disciple here, one who continues in his word. If you continue in his word, look at the next verse. What are you going to get? Then you shall know the truth, and delivering sessions shall make you free. No, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What's the truth that will make you free? You're free. The truth is, is you need to know the truth about your spiritual identity in Christ Jesus. You need to know your spiritual authority over the devil. Do you know when you got born again, the devil was put under your feet? Ephesians 1 talks about far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and given the church everything that, to be submitted under the church's feet. If you want to talk to the devil today, write a note on your shoe, because that's where you'll have to read it. You need to know your authority. When you know your authority, it says resist the devil and he will flee. He didn't say have delivering sessions and he will flee. Now I'm going to get emails. That's fine. Write me the email, but there's ground rules to it. Give me scripture. I don't want to hear your, your feelings, your opinions, what you've heard, what you've experienced. Scripture. That is what we govern our life by. Scripture. And then we, we can have a talk. Praise God. Let's move on. Hatred. Hatred. Do you know that's not good for a Christian? Hatred. Now, now a Christian can't truly hate someone in their spirit. Because your spirit's love, wall-to-wall love. You, there's, no, there's no hate in your spirit. It's your soul that you're having trouble with. You need to have your peanut roasted. <laughs> now, there's some people that acted like they hated me, but I knew they were believers. I said, well, you know what? Your spirit loves me. Your spirit loves me? You're just having a little trouble with your head right now. It'll work out. Hatred. Contentions. This is strife and fighting. When you're fighting with other people and arguing with other people, you're always in the flesh. There's no spirit fights with other people. We might fight and stand against the enemy spiritually, but, when you, but, your, web, but, your, uh, but your fight is not with flesh and blood. So when you're fighting and arguing and wrangling, you're in the flesh. You're having a flesh flash. And, what only, and contention only comes by what? Proverbs 13.10 says contention only comes by pride. Pride. It's your pride that's getting in the way. Are we, are we okay? I need to stop here. Are we okay? I know this is a trash heap we're walking by, but we're, we're walking. We're going we'll to keep going. All right. We're not stopping here. All right. The next one is jealousies. Jealousies. Um, uh, they call this the green-eyed monster. A jealous person is troublesome to others around them, but they're a torment to themselves. Let me say that again. A jealous person is troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. Jealousy will eat you up on the inside. Now, I'm going to help some people out today. Uh, where are my single people that are not married yet? Raise your hand high. Okay, now look around. I'm sorry. That's bad, a pastor. Now put your hand. I shouldn't do that. It's not good. I'm going to help you out. If you're dating somebody and they're constantly jealous and want to know where are you, when you were there, why did you talk to that person, what should you do? Run! Run! Well, they will get over that when they get married. Oh, no, no, no. They own you more. 
They think they possess you more. It's the flesh. Self. Okay. Outbursts of wrath. What's this? It's anger that boils up and is soon subsided again. Explosions of anger that are destructive. Well, some say, well, pastor, yeah, I do get angry, I explode, but I'm over it quick. Well, so are bombs. <laughs> they leave collateral damage. Destruction of people's lives and the property. This is where it's destructive often to the things around. There's holes in the wall. There's things that are broken in, in this mindless rage and wrath. And you hurt people. Husband, she's your delicate flower. Don't stomp on her. Don't blow her petals off. Now, if you're married, just keep looking. If any of these really hit you, be wise enough just to wait till you're in the car and go, Ouch! Don't let them know the rock hit you. If you're married right now, keep looking. Don't look right now. Do not look. I don't need more marriage counseling right now. Selfish ambitions. This means intriguing for office. This is politicking, politics. Have you ever been in a work environment where there's politics? Have you ever been in a church where there are politics going on? They're all vying for positions. Intriguing. Soap operas in church. Soap operas at work. I call it drama. Let me tell you something about me. I, I am highly allergic to drama. I don't participate in drama. I don't listen to drama. I don't allow drama to take place on, in this church. If you're ready to be into drama, go act somewhere else. Act up somewhere else. Dissensions. This is divisions, people causing division. Division. Heresies. You ever heard someone called a heretic? Heretic. The Greek word for heresy literally means an opinion. An opinion. Especially a self-willed opinion that substitutes their opinion for submitting to the power of truth of the word of God. It leads to division and formation of parties. A heretic is a person who has decided that their opinion is right and everybody else is wrong. Paul warns against people who make their ideas the test of truth. They toss scripture aside and go with what's reasonable about God. They create their own thought theology that makes God palatable to them. No matter if there's scriptures there, if scriptures go against this opinion or against their reasoning, they either ignore it, they cut it out, or say it's not this dispensation. For example, there's some today called universalists. And they teach Jesus died for everybody, so everybody automatically is saved. Everyone's going to heaven and there's no hell. And they said, it's, not, it's just not reasonable. Hell's not reasonable. I don't understand it, so it must not be true. It's not palatable. So in my opinion, there is no hell. So you have to ignore where Jesus spoke more on hell than anybody in the Bible. Well, that's before the cross, and, and, and hell's something metaphorical, and ideas, theologies, your own reasonings, and then you become a heretic. Are we good? Did I lose anybody? Nope. Everybody stay together. Yep. Let's keep moving. Verse 21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, pastor, that makes me scared because I've done some of that stuff. Recently, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Hold on, we'll get to that. But we got to go through some of these other ones first, and we'll get to them. Envy. Envy goes beyond jealousy. Envy is being grieved at someone else's experiencing the good. You know what I'm talking about. When, when you're believed for healing and someone gets healed of the very thing you've been believing for. And they give a testimony and you're like, well, praise God, sister. <laughs> someone gets blessed with the car you're believing for. You have a picture on your wall and you're confessing them and they say, praise God, come out, look at the new car I got. <laughs> praise God. Envy. Murders. Repeat after me. It's good not to kill people. <laughs> Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Well, Pastor, you're saying it's wrong to drink alcohol. Well, I can't say where it's a sin to drink alcohol. But the last thing I checked is you can't get drunk if you don't start. Pastor, it's, it's light beer. <laughs> Pastor, I don't get drunk. I just get a good buzz. <laughs> well, that's the first stage of drunk. Drunk means your mind starts to be altered off of where it was. Buzz is that state. Well, I do my best work when I'm buzzed. No, you don't. You're the most deceived when you're buzzed. <laughs> well, Pastor, I just have a glass of wine, of wine to un unwind at the end of the day because I'm so stressed. I got a stressful job. I have kids at home that are stressful, so I have a glass of wine to, to calm myself at night. Watch out. You're using something to bring comfort and solace besides God. Before it was only one glass, and then the, and the glass gets bigger and bigger and bigger. One becomes one and a half, comes two, and then you have an issue. Revelries, that takes drunkenness with other people. If I do it with other people, it's not so bad if I drink alone. And I'm going to add some music to it. Add the drunkenness in with it, and then it leads to the other things listed in this that we talked about. And the like. This is not even an exhaustive list. There's more you can go into. And the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in the past, that those who practice, say practice, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, Pastor, this scares me. Well, it is kind of scary. But I want you to look at the word practice. It's the Greek word proso, P-R-A-S-S-O. It means to do something habitually. It means lifestyle, a lifestyle. What is this saying? It's a habit of life, not a slip of indiscretion or a weakness you struggle with from time to time. This speaks of a lifestyle in which one has comfortably sat down in it. The character of a person is seen in what they habitually do. Let me say that again. The character of a person is seen in what they habitually do. Well, pastor, I don't practice these things. But I do like TV shows and movies with people that do them. Let's move on. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practicing these sins as a habitual lifestyle is the hallmark of an unbeliever. If you're living in these sins with no desire to depart from them, but love them, you're not a child of God. And you need born again. Because when you're born again, God takes the pig nature that loves the mud and puts a sheep nature that can get muddy but hates being dirty. Most miserable person on the planet is not an unbeliever. It's a believer living in bondage because there's something within you to live free. 
1 Corinthians 6, let's just kind of help you out with this. Another sister verse talking about this. Look in 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 9 and verse 10, and then we'll help you out understanding verse 11. Verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know or are you ignorant that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will, have inherit, will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, pastor, I've done some of this stuff. Does that mean I'm going to lose my salvation? Hold on a second. Go back to verse 9. Do you not know the unrighteous? The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're born again, what are you? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How did you get that way? Because you performed good enough and kept yourself clean and cleaned yourself up and that you got to be. Now, what do you, as a gift, when you got born again, you were made righteous. Who is this verse talking about? Unbelievers. Let me tell you something. An unbeliever is identified with their sin. An unbeliever is identified with their sin. Adulterer, fornicator, drunkard, extortioner, they're identified with their sin. But if you're born again, who do you identify with? Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, if the unrighteous that are doing these things aren't going to inherit, why are you acting like them? Why would you even be dabbling or getting close over here dabbling with them and that stuff? You're righteous. You don't know who you are. You need a revelation of who you are in the Spirit. Verse 11 helps us out even further. And such were some of you. He's written to the Corinthians. And some of them were struggling at the moment with some of the things he talked about. He says, such were some of you. But you need to renew your mind to something. I want you to see something. And you've got to go Pentecostal with this. But you were washed. <laughs> Power washed with the blood. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Or you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. Tell someone you were power washed. <laughs> Tell someone else you were sanctified. sanctified. Tell someone you were justified. justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And by the Spirit of our God. That's not who you are anymore. You need to renew your mind. The answer to walk free from these sins is to walk in and by, be led by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22. Now let's get out of the garbage heap. Everybody good? We're all together? Let's keep walking into the fruitful garden of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit does not come by straining and effort. Have you ever seen a fruit tree struggling to get an apple? What does it do? It just lifts up its arms and receives the light and bears fruit. Just draw from the love of Christ and draw from your identity by the, and you will bear fruit. We don't produce fruit by the Spirit, by the energy or effort of our will, but through abiding in faith in Christ. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit is done by as a product of walking in the Spirit. Notice it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, Pastor, I've heard that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, and everything else just are aspects of love. Or, Pastor, is it all of them called the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the Greek language will help us here. Because every noun in the Greek language has, a, has a, not only a gender, masculine, feminine, or neuter, but it also has a number singular or plural. So let's find out the word fruit, because fruit, you can have a bunch of different fruit and call it fruit, or you can have one banana and call it fruit. So which one is it referring to? Well, pastor, what is it? Well, let me tell you, the fruit here is singular. 
the fruit of the Spirit is one thing, love. And everything else should be a semicolon after that. And everything else is a demonstration of the love of God. Matter of fact, we're going to go over each of these quickly. And I'm going to show you in 1 Corinthians 13, God's love shows that aspect of every single one of them. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. So the, love of, so the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let me tell you how to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You need to receive the love of God. You need to receive the love of God for you, which is completely outside of yourself and has nothing to do with you. It's because God is love. And you need to know how much God loves you. And I told you last week, walking in the Spirit is to behold Jesus as He is, and as He is, believe you are as He is right now. Just as He is, so are you. How is Jesus loved by the Father? How is He loved by the Father? All that God is in fullness is directed in love to His Son. The same love is to you. As he is loved, so am I in this present world. And if I wonder about that, look to the cross where he bled his life out for you. He loves you that way. You need to put the magnifying glass over your heart. That God, you love me just as much as you love Jesus. And with that same love, you love me. I receive that. And that's the soil. That's the environment for the fruit that we're going to list here to come effortlessly out of your life. Joy. Get some. You got some if you got Jesus. Don't look like you've been baptized in persimmon juice. Do you know God's love, receiving God's love always produces joy? When you're loved... It makes your tail wag. <laughs> when you feel like you're getting beat every time you come up, your tail's in between your No, no. There's joy. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 says love rejoices. Love rejoices in the truth. When we know we're loved by God unconditionally, it brings joy and gladness to us. Peace. It's probably one of my favorite revelations of the Spirit is peace. Peace. God's love for you produces peace in your life. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not provoked. In the Greek, the word provoked means agitated, irritated. Guys, if you're constantly being agitated, irritated at yourself and at other people, and you're just irritable all the time, you are not receiving the love of God for you. So, so peace is probably my pinnacle Fruit that I, uh, of the manifestations of love, but now we ruined it. The next was long suffering. Right there in the word suffering. Long. Do you know God's love is long suffering with you? Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. 2,000 years ago? But he said, I'm slow to get angry. King, the 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is patient. Kindness. God's love produces kindness. Kindness. The more you receive the love of God and the grace of God, the more kind you are. If you are critical, negative, uh, picking people apart, it's because you're doing that to yourself. You think God's doing that to you, and you do that to you. And then you, you ship it out. You always ship out what you imported. How does God look at you when you show up in the throne room? Oh, well, he criticized you in there. and you, yeah. No, no, he's like, oh, come here, come here. Oh, I love you. Mwah! Let me tell you all the good things I see about you. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not rude. 
Opposite of rude is kind. Goodness. God's love produces goodness. Love thinks no evil. Opposite of evil is good. Faith or faithfulness. Faith. God's love promotes faith and faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love believes all things. Look at, look at verse 23. Gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. Gentleness. God's love produces gentleness. Love bears all things. That's in the deal with people. It bears all things with gentleness. Self-control. Oh, why do we have to end with that one? Do you know in your own self you can't control yourself? You wild thing. <laughs> Only the Spirit can cause you to control yourself. And so the Holy Spirit brings control over self because when there's no self-control, self is gone wild. Love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love seeks not its own. It's not selfish. Against such, there is no law. What does that mean? There is no law that condemns you when you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You have no need to be governed by the laws of Moses when you're walking in the fruit of God's love and its attributes. The law of sin and death cannot dominate or have victory over you when you're walking in the power of the Spirit in God's love. Look at verse 24. And those who are Christ are trying to crucify themselves. Sorry, clueless translation. Those who are Christ, raise your hand if that's you. You have crucified the flesh with its lusts and passions. Well, pastor, I've been trying to crucify myself. I've been trying to kill myself. I've been trying to crucify. Well, hold on a second, sweetheart. Before there's any more pains in, involved in this, you can maybe nail in one nail. With great dexterity, you may be able to nail the second nail in. But I'd love to see you nail the third one in. <laughs> Think on these things. Crucifixion is not what you do to yourself. It's what's done to you. And there's no need for you to crucify yourself because you've already been crucified in the person of Jesus Christ. He was your representative on that cross. And when he died, you died. That old man died when he died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. When he was seated, you were seated. As he is, so are you right now. Is he free from sin? So are you. That's the truth that makes you free. Verse 25. I promised it's coming. Verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Raise your hand if you're born again. You're alive in your spirit. Your spirit's alive. And it's nice and sweet and wonderful and oh, great spirit. And, but you know what? The, the, the world can't see your sweet spirit unless you bear some fruit. So, yes, yeah, great to be born again, but no one can see your born againness unless it comes out. Let us walk in the spirit. Last week, we talked about walking in the Spirit in Galatians is not a good place to, to learn about walking in the Spirit because Paul didn't define it in verse 16. He didn't tell you how to do it. He says, if you do it, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but he didn't tell you how to do it. And I got so frustrated, I wanted to climb up to heaven, grab Paul by the robe collars, and shake him and say, you told me to walk in the Spirit, and I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you didn't tell me how. And then Paul unwrapped my fingers off his robe and said, Rick, I did tell you how to walk in the Spirit. But it wasn't in Galatians. It was in the book of Romans. The first letter written to the church. Romans 8, verse 4, talks about walking in the Spirit for the first time. It's the law first mentioned. The law first mentioned is the first time you see something mentioned, how it's defined there, use it afterwards. Paul defines it in verse 5. Pop it up, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, say set their minds, on the things of the flesh, but those who live or walk according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The walking in the Spirit is a mindset. Is your mindset on the spiritual things of God, it's in Christ, or your flesh, or the natural? And you're walking according to the Spirit. And Colossians 3.1 tells us exactly where we should look in the, in the Spirit realm. 
Colossians 3.1 says, seek those things which are above, not naturally, spiritually, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we should look at the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ through the mirror of God's word. How is he? And then I must, whatever I do, I got to do it by faith. I got to behold him as he is and then believe. Behold, believe. Say, behold, believe. What am I believing, Pastor? As he is, so are we now in this present world. Is he loved? How is he loved? Completely. So am I. So you got to say that with your own mouth. The first time you say that, it's like you're taking a shower with your socks on. Because your mind's not renewed. Your heart's not renewed to that. But the more your heart's renewed and it's convinced of the love of God, uh, that's when your outward life shakes on things by accident more than ever on purpose. And then you can be led in verse 18 by the Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit's been given to you and given you that prayer language that's only used in this dispensation. It's not even available for Old Testament believers because it was all on them in the Old Testament. That God gave no help in the Old Testament. But tongues is grace prayer where you can be built up and filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to live the Christian life, praying much in the Holy Ghost throughout the day. The Word and the Spirit are your two resources to walk in the grace of God that lifts you up and over this flesh. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is speaking of legalism. We all got saved by grace and then went to church. Hopefully not this one, but you learned things you had to do in order to get God to, 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 to meet your need to be pleasing, and you found out that, that there's different levels of being pleasing in the natural, and so now it's a competition with you and me and how well we're doing it, and, and we get into legalism comparing ourselves one with another. And there's some that we're doing better at. And, and so this word says don't provoke one another. This word provoke one another means to call one out as a challenge to contest with them or compete with them. You pick people you can pick on that you're better at, and then you boast yourself over them and see how good I am, how bad you are. That's legalism. It's ugly and nasty. And so you pick on people that you can beat up and tell the 350-pound lineman walks into the room. And then you go to the other ditch, not envying one another. Those are the ones that seem like they're better than you. They seem they got it all better than you. You're it's all comparison and legalism. And so some I'm better at, I provoke them to jealousy. And then some, I, I'm envy of you. But if you really know who they are, you wouldn't be impressed. It's just a show. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. It's astroturf. <laughs> or you don't know what it's fertilized with. Water your own side. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much that you gave us the Holy Spirit that lifts us, lifts us up and out of the flesh. And it's so simple. It's the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's love. That we need to know and have a revelation of how much you love us and believe it and speak it and act on it and live in it as our environment. And if we'll just focus on the glory of your grace and the glory of your goodness and the glory of your love for us, it lifts us up effortlessly by the Spirit of God over the flesh. You say, Pastor, I, you list some things that I've struggled with lately and I realize now I've been trying in my own willpower to overcome them and it's not working. All I, I realize now is I just need to get my eyes off of me and focus on Jesus as he is, so am I. Is he loved? I'm loved. He's righteous, so am I. He's dead to sin, so am I. I'm going to start believing that, speaking that, acting on that. Let that be the soil of my spiritual walk. If that's you today, and you want this change and, and power to lift up out of this flesh you've been struggling with, raise your hand high. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised. Lord, I want a greater revelation of the love of God.
So I know the height, the depth, the width, the length, the, di- uh, the dimensions of the love of God seen in the cross that passes all understanding, being rooted and grounded in that love so I can bear the fruit of God, be filled with the fullness of God, and that you get the glory when I live a God-honoring life because it's your grace and it's your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God together. Church, God, His Spirit Himself, wants to bring us to Isaiah 45, 11. And let's pause on this. Concerning my sons, and that's us, children of God, and concerning the works of my hands, that's him, his promises, his words, and the work of the righteous right hand of God. There's two ways, right? Command ye me. That's what God says. Authority of God put in us that we have authority in the word of God. Isaiah 45, 11 can work miracle in our life. It has worked on mine big time but the Holy Spirit of God would want me to pray for all of us today Father in Jesus name I speak the fire of God to burn out every darkness and unrighteousness to us your son right now at this hour and moment that we depart from sin and really look up and behold the work of God in us. I speak anointing to every single one of us. Authority in the word of God. Fire of the spirit of God. Deliver that authority in every single one of us today. That the word of God bring its own power and miracle in our life. We all right now at this very hour receive that. Walk out from this church with the authority in the word of God. The blood of Jesus, I pray, cleanse us of every unrighteousness and bring us into the fullness and sonship of God. Amen.